We live in what we could call a soundbite world. Uh, the soundbite is a product of our information overload to a large degree. We bombard our every waking moment with a constant barrage of information. It's not uncommon to see somebody watching a television, talking on their speakerphone, and scrolling while they're doing it uh, because we can't stop. We are addicted to this constant bombarding of information. Uh, some of you are listening to me right now and you're scrolling on your phone. You know you are. I don't have to see you doing it to know you're doing it. Uh, we're addicted to this constant barrage of information. The problem is, is that when we're doing this, we don't concentrate very well on anything. We don't hear very much of what the television is, uh, is going on there. We're not always hearing to that person and, and what they're saying when they're talking to us on the phone, and we're not picking up much of what we're seeing. And so we conditioned ourselves just to pull a bite here and a bite there and a bite there, and we even came up with something to call it a sound bite, a sound bite. I want to tell you right up front this morning that uh, the Bible is not a soundbite book. Uh, when we are studying the Bible or think we're studying the Bible, but really all we're doing is pulling up a passage and maybe it's in our Bible app and it's got our morning verse for our devotional and we read that and we say, oh, that's wonderful. We hit the share button and start sending it around. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, that's not a good way to share your Bible or to study your Bible. It, it may be a good way to share it, yes, with others, but it's not a good way to study it. In fact, it's a dangerous way. Paul warned in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 uh, to his young preacher, uh, protege Timothy. He said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. See, Paul told Timothy with the strongest possible language that he should preach the word, that he should rebuke people with it, exhort, that means instruct them uh, to be long-suffering about it and continue to teach them. And the reason is that Paul understood that the task of giving people good, solid understanding of biblical truth is a huge task. It is a literally life-consuming, life-long task. And he also knew that people are not inclined to put in the time and the effort that it takes to get good, solid instruction from the Scripture. It's a whole lot easier just to pick out a verse here, to hear somebody over there flashes it up and says, oh, look at this. And we look at that and we think we know what it means. Oh, that's wonderful. And it appeals to us on some level. And I'm not going to tell you that we can't get some instruction for that or some benefit from that. But I am going to tell you we need more. We need to understand God's truth on a deep and profound way. I am here to tell you that we can have Bible verses plastered all over our house and, and we can get a daily Bible verse every day and yet we're really not studying the Bible. We're getting a verse. We're getting a sound bite, if you will. But that's not always what the Bible says. Now, I've said that this morning uh, because we're going to be looking at a famous, famous 
passage of Scripture. It is a passage of Scripture, and you might have noticed that I, I brought this up with me this morning, the pulpit. And in case you can't see it, maybe you can, uh, but it says on it, I know the plans. Now, this was given to me by one of our precious families. I'm not going to mention the Garvin's name because they did not uh, give me permission to do so. Uh, but I love this. I love this. Every time I see it, it reminds me of Jeremiah 29 and 11, that where God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Okay? It's a great thing. I understand what this passage means because I've studied it in its context. Uh, but I also want us to understand that this is a very popular passage and a lot of people are using it and, and they're using it in a completely unbiblical way. And I want to share that with you today. And the way that we do this and the way that we understand this passage is to look at it in order to see... What is the answer to the question, what are the plans that God has for us? God said it through the prophet Jeremiah long ago, I know the plans that I have for you. What were those plans? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let's go back to the passage, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and hope. Now, Jeremiah was prophesying to Israel during a time when they had turned away from God and were worshiping idols. He was a contemporary with the prophet Ezekiel. And if you'll read Ezekiel, you'll find that God uh, brought Ezekiel to Jerusalem in the Spirit and He showed them in the temple. And there were images of idols, pagan gods, all over God's house in Jerusalem. Can you imagine such a thing? The people had radically, radically and rebelliously turned away from God. And as a result, God's judgment was coming. God's judgment was coming to them in the uh, form of an army, an invading army that literally was at the gates of the city when Jeremiah was giving this prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 29. The message that God gave to them through Jeremiah was simple. Surrender. That's what he said. Jeremiah had been preaching this for quite a while, and in fact, they accused him of treason and tried to kill him, throw him down in a hole, imprisoned him, uh, to let him starve to death. That was Jeremiah. Because he was telling them, stop fighting, stop resisting, surrender to this invading army and save your life. If you keep fighting, then you and your children are going to die. But if you'll surrender... You'll save your life. That was the plan. And God had given them that plan and given it to them very clearly. He tells them then in this passage that they would be 70 years in Babylon. What that meant in a practical way was that these people who had turned away from God and embraced the gods of their culture, who had brought in all those idols into God's temple, they were going to die under the judgment of God. They'd die as slaves in Babylon. But... But, because you live, you're going to have children. If you die, you won't. 
Because you live, though, you're going to have children, and yes, grandchildren yet unborn. And after 70 years, though you're going to die, your children will live, and I'm going to visit them and bring them back to this land. And therefore, though you surrender, though you can expect to live and die under judgment, that was going to happen, yet you can have a future and hope because you know your kids will be brought back to this land, God says. And I'm going to bless them. This is one of the times when that good old King James Version gives us a really good way of looking at the passage. Verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. An expected end. You see, God knew. He knew it for Israel, and He knows it for us. He knows what the end is going to be in a way that is absolutely beyond any human being's ability to understand. I don't care if you're a genius like John Piper and you think you've got it all figured out. I'm going to tell you right now, he didn't have it figured out either. No matter who you are, you can't really understand with our limited intellectual ability, the omnipotence and omniscience of Almighty God. Omniscience means that God is all-knowing. Omnipotent means that God is all-powerful. We can't wrap our heads around that. It is too marvelous for us. But I want you to know this morning that God knows the end. He knows what is coming. And while that is true, He has still, in a way we can't explain, left it so that we make choices all the time about what we'll do and what we don't do. Many scholars have said this, and it's true. We have the right to choose what we're going to do. We do not have the right to choose the consequences because most of the time the consequences of our actions are already predetermined. You can do this. You can make that choice. And if you do, then this is what's going to happen. Sometimes we know that. (laughs) Jump off a building. You can choose to do that. But you can't choose about what the consequences are. The consequences are you're going to hit the ground. That consequence is already predetermined. We have the ability to make choices, but we don't have the ability to determine the consequences of those choices. And oftentimes those consequences are known to God in the Bible that's called, or always rather, they're known to God in the Bible that's called God's foreknowledge. And because God knows what's going to happen, then He can plan accordingly. We call that God's providence. The expected end then in this passage was a simple directive to the people of Israel in Jeremiah's day. God was simply telling them, I know the plan that I have for you. They knew it too because He had already told them. The plan was to surrender to your enemies. If you do that, you'll save your life, and I will visit your children and your grandchildren after 70 years, and I will bless them and bring them back to the land. That was the plan. The plan had an expected end. 
And I'm glad to be able to stand right here in Cabot, Arkansas, 2020 today and remind you that it happened exactly the way God said it was going to happen. It worked out just that way. Sure enough, after 70 years of being slaves in Babylon, God visited them in an amazing way. I don't have time to tell you that story. That God brought them out of captivity, brought them back to the land of Israel, and the end that was to be expected, the end that God had promised, indeed came to pass. But why then would God say that my plan is to give you a future and a hope? There's a critical part to this. And it is that part that is going to be the primary focus of this message today. Then, he says, you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, the reason why that God could promise them a future and a hope was because God knew, God knew, God knew that these people were going to turn to him and seek him with all their heart. Therefore, it does us good today to ask ourselves the question, how do you seek the Lord with all your heart? If this is a critical ingredient to this, that God's promise to them and the expected end that He made to them included the fact that He knew that they were going to turn to Him and seek Him with all their hearts then it's a great time for us to ask ourselves the question, how do you seek the Lord with all your heart? Now, in order to answer that question, I'm going to bring to you a couple of other passages this morning uh, that give to us some critical information that also speak to us about seeking the Lord. The first thing I want us to see today is that if we're going to seek the Lord, we have to seek the Lord in faith. We must seek the Lord in faith. And the writer of the book of Hebrews gives us this in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. So if you're going to seek God, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us right off the bat, you've got to believe in God. Seeking God is all about believing in God. It is a matter first and foremost of faith. If you're going to seek God, you must seek Him in faith. That's why the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. And we have it in this great passage. Without faith, it's impossible, not hard, impossible to please Him. Romans chapter 14 verse 23 tells us that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith. That is, it begins with faith and to faith. That is, it ends with faith. The gospel. So let me ask you today, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? You can't seek God if you don't believe in Him. Now, part of me wants to say that the very fact that you're listening to this broadcast means you're probably a believer in God, and you're not an atheist. 
But if you are, maybe you're sitting there and you're listening in because your family's listening in, your wife maybe has gathered the children or your husband maybe has, has turned it on and, and you're sitting there, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're not going to say, I'm an atheist. Maybe you're just going to say, I'm an agnostic. The word ah in Greek means not and, and nosco means to know. I, I just don't know. I'm an agnostic. I don't know whether there's a God or not. I'm not clear. Maybe you're listening today. And if that is the fact, if you perhaps have rejected the notion of God, or if you just don't really believe in God or anything that you've heard about God, I want to say to you right up front that I applaud your faith. I applaud the strength of your faith. And the reason for that is because you believe that the universe created itself. You believe that all of that inanimate matter of the universe somehow animated itself and then created this incredible diversity of life that you see all over this planet and that looks you back from the mirror every single time you look at it. You believe that the universe just created itself. And because you believe in the universe... A lot of your kind, a lot of folks who believe your way have started putting the capital U on the universe. Maybe you tell yourself, well, I believe in nothing. But if that is the case, then your nothing has a capital N. <laughs> because you believe in nothing, and you believe when you die, you're going to nothing, capital N, nothing. You believe nothing created everything. But I want to tell you today, your nothing is a liar. You're nothing is a liar, and I believe deep down in your heart, you know it. You know it. I want you to know today, you don't die to nothing. You die to something. It is appointed, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. You don't die to nothing. You die to something. That's the message of the Bible. The message is that God is the giver of life and we're accountable unto Him for what we do with it. So the very first thing about seeking God is you've got to believe that God is. And now to pass on to another step of this, let me just address another group of you. You're not an atheist. You're not an agnostic. You believe in God. But you don't know Him. You don't have a relationship with him. Then of all the people that I could potentially be talking to today, I want to talk to you. You believe in God. You know God is. Nobody then in this planet needs to seek God any more than you do. You believe in him. That's number one. The second thing is if we're going to seek God... We must seek God in repentance. And this comes from Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Where Hosea gives them uh, such a beautiful picture in this passage. He says, sow to yourselves in righteousness. You see, he's talking about sowing. He's talking about a farmer. Sow to yourselves. What are you going to sow? Sow in righteousness. And when you do that, he says, you'll reap, you'll harvest mercy. What a great statement that is. Sow righteousness and you'll harvest mercy. That's a great promise. But he tells us then something critical. Break up your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. There it is. 
time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. You see, ground gets fallow, and any farmer can tell you what that means. It means the ground is undisturbed, and after a while it gets hard, and the rain doesn't penetrate the soil. It just runs off. And if you want the rain to penetrate the soil, then you've got to break up the ground. And so we're sowing, he says. We want to reap in mercy. We want to harvest of God's mercy in our life. We're sowing in God's righteousness. But if that's going to happen, then we've got to break up our fallow ground because the soil of our hearts tends to become hardened to the things of God. We might think that we sinned, and because nothing happened immediately, we didn't get sick, our kids didn't get sick, my bank account didn't empty out, uh, nothing seemed to happen. We might have think we sinned and got away with it. We didn't. Sin hardens our hearts every single time. Sin hardens our heart. If it doesn't do anything else, it hardens us to God and to the things of God. Hosea was speaking then, if we want to seek the Lord, number one, we have to believe that God is. It starts with faith. And number two then, it's time to break up that fallow ground. This is what the Bible calls repentance. Now, if you haven't been saved, then that's where it all starts. It starts with repentance. You say, well, I want God in my life, sure, but I want all this sin too. Sorry. It starts with repentance. Repentance is when we confess our sin to God. Yes, God, I'm sinning. I've sinned against you, and I want to turn from that. That's what repentance means. We turn from our sin. We turn to God. And we can't hold on with both hands to our sin and expect God uh, to fill our hands with Himself. We don't hold on with our sins in our hearts and then expect God to come in there and, and just settle down with us in that sinfulness. There must be repentance. I'm not the one who made that up. Jesus Christ himself preached the gospel of the kingdom. And while he was here, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, Jesus said to them, Repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's also in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, if you want to go to it and read it. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Before Jesus got here, there was that old horse voice, John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. What did he preach? Repent. <laughs> For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After it all played out, Paul the apostle, you can look all the way up in the book of Acts, and what's he telling them to do? Repentance toward God. He said, I preached it everywhere. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It all starts with that repentance where we break up the fallow ground of our heart where we bow our knee to God and say, God, I've sinned against you. And we believe then what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary when he died for our sins. And we call upon him and ask him to forgive us and to save us. It may be that you have been saved for a long time and yet you'd have to admit today you've become hardened to the things of God. Maybe I'm talking to somebody today. It's been years since you've been in church. Maybe this is the first time for years that you've listened to a Bible preacher. And if you're still listening, I'm amazed and not pulling this scrolling on. But if you are still listening, it's probably because the Holy Spirit 
is getting something across to you. You're a believer, but your heart is hardened to the things of God. What do you need to do? You need to go back to the cross. When our hearts get hardened to the things of God, we need to go back and bow again before the same cross. And I'll say it again, you don't have to get on your knees, but it won't hurt you any if you do. And say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I still believe in you. I still love you. No, you can't get saved again. If you're saved, you're saved. But your heart can get hardened. And today might be your day for you to go back to the cross and break up that fallow ground of your heart again so that God could rain His righteousness down on you. That's what seeking the Lord is all about. In 1960, the Green Bay Packers were a force to be reckoned with in professional football. They were led by the legendary coach, Vince Lombardi. Their season didn't end well. They were defeated by the Philadelphia Eagles. Next year in training camp 1961, in a message that was detailed by author David Moranis in his book, When Pride Still Mattered, he said Vince Lombardi walked in the locker room that day carrying a football, and he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. His team had messed up. His team had failed. And he was saying to them, guys, we're going to start at the beginning and go back to the fundamentals. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you're saved, but your heart's gone fallow. When I'm calling you to go back to the cross, I'm standing there. I'm not holding a football in my hand. I'm holding the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the cross. This is repentance. This is faith. It's time to go back to Him and confess to Him that, Lord, I've wandered far from you. I'm glad to be able to tell you today that God loves that language. He runs out to meet prodigals when they come back to him saying, I have sinned against God and against you. God loves that language. He runs to meet it and he'll throw you a party to celebrate when he's done. This is the God that meets you on the Sea of Galilee. Cooks breakfast for you and asks you, do you still love me? And if you do, then he's got a place for you. When we mess up, when we let our hearts grow fallow, when we turn from God, it's time to seek the Lord, Hosea says. And what we do is we repent. How do we do that? We go back to the start. We go back to that place where we knelt at the cross and we receive his forgiveness and restoration. That's how we seek the Lord. Number one, in faith. Number two, in repentance. And then that brings us to our text once again. Seeking the Lord with all our heart. What does that mean? It means that we seek the Lord in sincerity. In sincerity. Not half-hearted, but with all your heart. 
not with some hidden meaning or ulterior motive. Sincerity, with all your heart, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, there's a classic outline of this passage. I didn't come up with it, and I can't improve on it, so I just used it. If I knew who had first come up with it, I'd give him credit, but he's probably died and gone on to heaven. People have been preaching for this about this for generations. But there is a classic outline about seeking the Lord. First of all, we seek Him exclusively. You will seek me, God says. You'll seek me. Have you ever noticed that we tend to find what we're looking for? If you pick up something looking for flaws and mistakes, you know what you're going to find? Flaws and mistakes. We tend to find what we are looking for. And in this case, God calls us to seek Him, to come looking for Him. God knows if our mouth is saying, God, we need you. But what we're really saying is, God, I need my job back. God knows. If we're saying, God, we need you. But what we're really saying is, that God, I, I, I need you to heal me of my cancer. Or, 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 or if, if we're saying, God, I need you. But what we're really saying is, God, I want my family back. Or I want my wife back. Or I want these wayward kids of mine to get right. God knows if we're really seeking Him. And when we get down to that place where we're seeking God, and we're saying, you know, maybe my marriage will get fixed, and maybe it won't. Maybe my wife will take me back. Maybe she won't. Maybe my husband will come back. Maybe he won't. Maybe my kids will come back home. Maybe they won't. But God, no matter what, I need you. When we're there, God knows we're there. God knows it. Whether my health problem is fixed or not, whether I get over my cancer or not, whether my bank account comes back or not, whether my job comes back or not, whether my business comes back or not. God, I need you. When we're there, God knows we're there. We seek Him. Because on a foundational, fundamental heart level, we figured this out. If I've got God, then what I don't have is not all that important because I've got God in my life. You see? We know if we have Him, He's enough. We seek God exclusively. We seek God earnestly. This is a kind of earnestness that is born out of desperation and determination. The desperation comes because we've generally already tried everything else. There's something about you and me and something about our fallen nature that we tend to treat God as a last resort. Amen? Isn't that the truth? We're only going to seek Him if we've tried everything else. If God is door number three, I'm not going to start with door number three. There's door number one to try first, and then door number two. And then I'll be looking around if there's a 2A, B, C, D, or Z somewhere to find. But desperation comes when we get to that place in life where we understand there's not anywhere to go but to God. 
And out of that desperation, then there's determination. And we see that right here in our text in Jeremiah chapter 29. There was nothing they could do. God's already told them to surrender. Babylon's going to conquer you and you can't stop it. If you're fighting against them, you are fighting against God's plan and God's will. What you need to do is surrender. Go along with it. Even though that doesn't make sense, even though it went against their natural inclination, that's what God told them to do. Because the only way that their lives were going to be saved and the only way that they'd be lived to have children and grandchildren is if God intervened. God wasn't a hope. God was their only hope. Desperation. And determination, because out of that desperation, then there is a determination. (laughs) It's Simon Peter saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. It is Jacob, after he had fought with God all night long, saying, there's a blessing in this somewhere, God, and I will not let go of this until you bless me. It is that person knocking on the neighbor's door at midnight because they need bread. It's the widow that keeps troubling the unjust judge. Is a seeking God with desperation and determination that's earnestly. So we seek God exclusively. We seek God earnestly. And lastly, of course, we seek God expectantly. Expectantly. You will seek me and find me. I can't tell you this morning that if you seek God, you'll find your prosperity again. I can't tell you today that if you seek God, you'll find your wife again or your husband again or your marriage again or your children again. I can't tell you today that if you'll seek God, you'll find healing for your cancer or that God will keep you from getting COVID-19. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that you'll find uh, whatever it is that you want or whatever it is you're hoping for or whatever it is that you think you need. But I can tell you this, if you will seek God, you will find God. You will find God. How do I know it? Because He told you that you will find Him if you will seek Him with all your heart. We seek God then in faith. We've got to believe God is. And that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We seek God in repentance. And we seek God in sincerity. And that means we seek Him exclusively. We seek God. We seek Him earnestly out of desperation and determination. We seek Him expectantly because we know we'll find Him. So let's wrap this up today. Let's wrap it up. Grabbing a social media bite-sized text out of the Bible is no way to study the Bible. I'm not going to tell you that it's bad to have a plaque like this in your home. It's not. I treasure this plaque given to me by precious people. You walk in our church, you're going to find Bible verses plastered all over our walls. And I hope I can walk in your home or in your office and find Bible verses on your wall. Those are good things. But it's not a good thing if that's all we do. If all we're getting from the Bible is what we're getting in our daily Bible verse from our Bible study program, then we're not studying the Bible. We may think we are. 
we're not. We need to look deep. If we can't do it on our own, ask for help. Call me, believe you me, I live for somebody to ring me up and say, man, Brother Rich, I, I don't understand this. Would you please explain it to me? I, I live for those days when I get to talk Scripture with somebody and help them out. There's no shame in that. No shame at all. I'm not going to tell you, well, I can't believe you've been a believer all your life and you don't know what. I'm not going to tell you that. I'd love to sit down with you and help you study the Word of God. Why? Because that's what God called me to do. I labor under the same command that God gave to Timothy long ago. Preach the Word. Always be ready. Reprove, yes. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Teach them. Don't ever quit. Don't ever quit it. Keep doing it. I live for it. I love it. Love to take God's Word. Try to help you understand it better. Jeremiah 29, 11 said God had a plan. He did have a plan. The plan was to surrender to their enemies. The plan was the assurance. You folks have messed up. You've wandered far from me. And the bottom line was what was that those people who put their idols in their temple that had followed after the idols of their culture, they were going to die under the judgment of God. Their children, they didn't have any choice in that. It wasn't their fault that mom and daddy turned away from God. And so God sent them out. Hope. Not for themselves, but for something more important. For their kids, for their grandkids yet unborn. I'm going to give you a future, said. How does this apply to us? means that God has a plan today as well. He hasn't left us to wonder about what that plan is. His plan is very simple. If you'll do what I tell you to do, there is an expected end. If you do what I tell you to do, then you can be certain about the end. God has told us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, you can be certain about the end. God has told us about how to live our life and what He would do and respond to that. And we can be certain there is an expected end, folks. There is a plan to follow. And that plan today has an expected end. And you want to tell me what it is today, Brother Reed? Sure, let me tell you. It's heaven. It's heaven. It's heavenly. It's an incredible plan that God has given us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you ready to seek the Lord 
that has a meaning for those who don't know Jesus as Savior. But it has a meaning for those of us who do. And I hope this morning that we can all say, yes, Lord, I'm ready to seek you. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Brother Jason is going to come and close out then with another song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible message about your plan. Thank you for telling us what the plan is and for promising us that if we'll be obedient to your plan, there is an expected end. God, I pray for those listening today, wherever they might be, that they would hear about this plan, that they would dedicate themselves to knowing your plan and to being obedient to your plan so that they too might receive that expected end. Holy Spirit, I pray for that man, that dad, that that mom, those teenagers, the kids. They all need you in their life. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, and that's touch their hearts, point them to Calvary. And we pray it in Jesus' name.